the world operates in shades of grey, in subtle distinctions and blurring of lines. But this isn't a time where that works. Jesus' kingdom works in black and white. Light and darkness. Truth and lie. King and pretender. The dividing lines become clearer and clearer between evil and life the schemes of man and the glory of the kingdom Jesus or something else That is the great question, isn't it? Jesus or something else? There's one option, Jesus, and then there's everything else. What has our heart? What has our heart? Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Have we traded light for grey? Clear lines for blurs. Clarity for compromise. Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? What has our heart? Who has our heart? You know, a lot of the things that we think about they look back to a Jesus. They look back to somebody who was in history. And we celebrate what he did. But he is a Jesus who is right here, right now. And he is a Jesus who is coming again. Not, not just in our imaginations, not just in our prayers, not just in his presence in our meetings, but he's coming again in glory. Riding on a cloud to find his bride, his spotless bride. 
his bride whose heart is solely for him. Not black and white, not compromise, not grey, not subtle nuance, but him, Jesus. A bride whose heart is only for the bridegroom. Whose love is only for the bridegroom. Whose measure of success is how well did I know and do I know the lover of my heart. Praise you, Jesus. Glorify you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. I want to share with you this morning not about the Jesus who was but the Jesus who now is and he's coming again. And you know we have a kind of funny reaction don't we when we talk about Jesus coming again because it's always out there and we think yeah people have done that for ages people have made films up about that for decades. And everybody thought it was soon. Well, here's what the word says. Soon he's coming back. Soon he will return. The soon isn't a time thing. It's a sudden thing. It's a changing of the ages and moving from one time to another from the time of the church his body on earth to the time of Jesus physically on earth and when he comes back it'll be instant all the world will know There's a lot about Jesus that if you don't know him, makes you uncomfortable. There's a lot about Jesus that if you don't want to follow him, will make you uncomfortable. And, you know, I've been thinking, what's, what is it going to be like when Jesus comes back? You see, here's the thing that you can, you see all this stuff on your TV screens and 
you can't avoid newspapers, can you? Like if you go in the shop, the newspapers are there. You see the headlines. And even if you try and avoid them, somehow it, it gets into your consciousness. And we hear all about these things that are happening in the world around us. And we don't know what to do other than pray. You see, here's what Jesus told us to do. He said, don't be afraid when you see those things. Don't be afraid when this goes on. And, and, and the problem is, Jesus said, when the, world start, when the world sees these things going on, it's not just going to affect the world because they're used to living in fear. It's going to affect the church. Because when the church starts to get wind of these injustices that are taking place in our world, somehow the church manages to get itself offended. Like, Jesus, like, what are you going to do about it? You haven't done anything about it, so I'm going to be upset with you, Jesus. Because all this stuff that I've held on to for 5, 10, 20 years doesn't seem to be quite working right at the moment. So I'm not just, I'm just not going to bother. I'm just going to let my passion for you, Jesus, die down. Because if there's anything this world needs right now, it's tough people. People with crusty, hard hearts. No. The thing that this world needs right now is people with soft, tender hearts for Jesus. The thing that troubles us, you see, and we get offended by, is this seeming lack of justice. This seeming lack of vindication. And it's not just on a world stage, is it? It's in our own lives. Stuff happens and has happened to many of us, if not all of us, where we haven't yet been vindicated. Where things haven't yet been put right. Where there's still fractures in relationships where there's still dividing lines, where there's still hurt, where there's still pain. And Jesus says, there will be justice and there will be vindication. See, when Jesus comes back, he comes back for a reason. And the reason isn't just to meet with his bride. The reason is that in meeting with his bride, he will have justice for his bride. And his bride will see his justice across the world. And while we don't see justice right now, we are going to see it. And the one who will give that justice is Jesus himself.
I think we all like the idea of Jesus coming back. And we sing great songs in the, in the, in the last 20, 30 years about Jesus coming back. Not so much recently, but 20, 30, 40 years ago, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king and all those sort of things. And we love the idea of Jesus coming back. But we no longer really understand that Jesus' return is also associated with judgment. You see, we don't like that word judgment. And yet the Bible is really clear that when Jesus comes back, he will judge. But kind of now we feel awkward talking about it. Like, why, why are you talking about this? Why can't you talk about something that just makes us happy? Because you can't have justice without judgment. And right across the planet right now, we see a desire for justice. And here's the thing. We don't do justice very well. We do biased justice that is about the side that wins. But Jesus does justice really well. So if we use a different word, instead of judgment, let's call it justice. Let's call it that Jesus is coming back to bring justice. And that justice is based on his judgment, not ours. And I think we're uncomfortable with that because most of us don't really know what the Bible says about it. It's kind of in those bits of the Bible that people write off and say, well, that's complicated. Or, you know, it, it's all allegory or pictures or all, anything like that. That is just not true. But it allows us to avoid that topic of Jesus' return. You see, I don't want to spend eternity without justice. But to see justice, I have to see Jesus, and he's going to bring that justice. So why? Why do we have, you know, like, Jesus, couldn't you just come back and be nice to everybody? Well, he didn't do that the first time, so I don't think he's going to change. Why can't Jesus just come back and be nice to everybody? Because I want him to be nice to me. Who wants him to be nice to them? I want him to be nice to me. You kind of think it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. If I put it the other way, he wants Jesus to be horrible to them. You go, no. But like, there must be a trick question. He wants Jesus to be nice to them. I want Jesus to be nice to me. But I need to understand the way he thinks and who he is and what he's about and what he's going to do. And you see, he's going to bring judgment or justice, whichever way you want to put it, because the injustices of life demand that. 
You demand that one day there will be justice, don't you? On this planet, for everything that's been done wrong and for everything that's been done right. So Jesus has to come back and judge and bring justice because the injustices we see in our own lives, in the lives of others, and right at the moment on our planet, demand that justice. See, one of the things that Cheryl and I regularly encounter is a broken her life. Lives broken by the actions and words of others. And Jesus says, I'm coming to bring justice to you. I'm going to put it right. I'm going to put that right. I think the problem we have with the idea of justice is that most of us in the church and outside the church think deep down we are good people. We are not good people. You look at our planet, we are not good people. Let me bring it home. You listen to your conversation tomorrow and you'll realize you're not as good as you thought you were. Listen to your own conversation. We are not good people. We are loved people, but we're not necessarily good people. Deep in me, planted by the Holy Spirit, is a desire that things should be put right. You know, we, in our family, something that our children have an issue with is that they have this passion to see justice and they're not seeing it. And that makes them question God. And yet God is the only one who can bring that justice. Because if we try, we'll mess it up. We've had 2,000 plus years since Jesus and we, we have not managed it yet. And as our, our laws drift further and further from Christ, the likelihood of us managing justice is less and less, not more and more. And here's the trouble that when we talk about this, we, we ourselves all need mercy. And we ourselves all need grace. And Jesus says, I give that too. I give that too. In fact, I paid for that. I paid for it. And that's the thing. You see, in the gospel, in Jesus himself, we see the two things together. We see justice and we see mercy. He's both together and he's the only one capable of both together. 
And mercy and grace is what Jesus died to pay for, for all those who will believe in him, trust in him, follow him, make him Lord of their life. But for others, there is justice and judgment. So Jesus comes back and judges because the injustice of life demands it. We all know and we all feel, and if you've like read a Charles Dickens book or any of those things that perennially come up at Christmas, the truth is that we know it's unfair for wrongdoers to prosper and the innocent to suffer. And yet it happens in our world. It might even happen in our neighborhood. It might happen in our family. And Jesus says, I'm coming back to put that right. The second reason why Jesus has to do this and why he's coming to do this is that God's justice demands it. If God never rights the wrongs that he has permitted to happen on our planet, then there is no justice. So God has to right those wrongs. And if, as we know, we, we like this verse in the context of money, but we're not so keen on it in all the other contexts, if we actually are going to reap what we sow, always, then God's justice has to do that. So that gives me another question. What are you waiting for, Jesus? What are you waiting for? Why, why a big day of reckoning at the end? Can't you just hit people with some lightning bolts as we go along? You know, just wipe a few out. I can think of a few. And I'm glad God has mercy on me when I think of those things. But, you know, we, we see people on our TV screens. We see evil in the world, and we say, why can't you just wipe it out, Jesus? Why Why is there going to be one day? Here's why. And these, again, they're, they're uncomfortable because we're not familiar with them. But they are what the Bible says about God. Here's why there's a single day of reckoning at the end. The first thing has to do with God himself. And Jesus receiving glory from everyone. You know, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every con confessing king of glory now. That will happen. Not just believers. That's not talking about the whole planet turning to being believers. That's talking about those who didn't believe finally realizing that they should have done. And what that does is that publicly vindicates Jesus before everyone. Before everyone who had ever lived, the one who was nailed to a cross, had thorns battered into his skull, and 
had a spear thrust into his side and was spat on and abused for you, gets vindicated before everybody. There's justice for Jesus. And the other reason is, and again, God says this clearly, is God's people must be vindicated before everyone who rejected them and laughed at them and abused them and killed them. So it's the day when the church, the bride, gets vindicated before the whole world that hated it. These are kind of solemn things. Things we don't like to think about. But if our hearts are to be softened and we are to become the bride of Christ, we need to know these things, think about these things, and understand what will happen. So why is God waiting? Well, I kind of guess that Dee and Joe are glad that God waited till Jed appeared. And I kind of guess that Sarah is glad that God waited till the twins appeared. And it's, God doesn't want to lose anybody. That's not his heart. See, God doesn't lose people. People reject God. They're not the same thing. And that's the problem, isn't it? That he, if he gives you the choice to love him of your own will, free will, and that really is the only sort of love that actually counts. You see, if somebody said, you will, lose Cheryl, uh, you will love Cheryl, or I'm going to throw you in a prison somewhere or beat you or kill you or whatever. Cheryl, that's not love, is it? The only real love there is is love that's given freely and voluntarily. And so along with that, along with that free will, comes the ability to choose not to give love. And so there are there are, it is a world full of people who've chosen not to love God. It's free choice. They've chosen not the white, but the black. Not the light, but the darkness. It's free choice. And I know people don't necessarily think through all the consequences of choices they make. But we need to. Because every choice has a consequence. Every choice you make in your life has a consequence. So why does he wait? Well, this is what 2 Peter 3 says. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you. He hasn't come back yet because he's patient towards you. not wishing that any should perish, 
that they all should repent. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And when the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies are burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will then be exposed. So I'm, I kind of get torn at this point between wanting God to hang on longer until everybody I care about comes into the kingdom and to come back right now and sort everything out and bring justice. And, and that's, that's the thing that is the problem for our hearts, isn't it? That's the thing for the problem as we live in the world. A believer will always live with that tension between wanting Jesus not to come back and Jesus to come back. For two different reasons. One, because of love for people who don't know him yet, and the other, because we want injustice, and we want injustice righted. In Romans, Paul says this, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. What does that tell me? That tells me that anyone who did not choose to have their devotion to Jesus will see justice. We... We know somebody, uh, some of you know her, and she had a, a, an awful, terrible life for many years. A life filled with violence, abuse, all sorts of things. And we prayed with her a lot that, that for, for God to heal the pain in her heart. And healing eventually came when God spoke these words to her. He said to her that you will have justice. You see, justice heals our hearts. It's when we can't get justice that our hearts stay in pain. And he said, you will have justice. Either in this life, the person who did that to you will turn to me. In which case, justice will be done and is done because Jesus died and paid the price of everything that that person did. Justice in this life. Or that person will not turn to me and there will still be justice when I return in front of everyone and you'll be vindicated. So where are you going to be judged? Where do you think judgment takes place? A lot of people think that judgment takes place in this amazing big throne room in heaven. And we're all going to pile into heaven and line up. And there's going to be some sort of big screen when all your bad stuff's going to be shown to people. And then God's going to come down with some sort of hammer and say, that way or that way. And that's it. 
That's the picture that, that many people have and they believe is, believe is true. But it's not true. You see, justice, this, the judgment when Jesus comes back, isn't in heaven. It's on earth. The Bible tells us clearly he judges here, not in heaven. Why? Because he's coming to be with his people. We're no longer trying to get to him. He's come to be with his people. And, and this, this, this justice and vindication takes place before everyone. So we get judged, yes, before a throne. That means as a king. That means as somebody you can choose to give your allegiance to in this life. Because he's on his throne right now. And he sat there waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool by his people. Here's the thing. Men will be judged where they lived, where they sinned. Why? Why cannot that, why is that not in heaven? Because God will not even for one day allow an unrepentant sinner into heaven. Heaven is pure. Heaven is holy. Heaven is only a place where those who love Jesus go. That's why it's on earth. You did it here, you get the consequences of it here. You're not getting to the sort of moon. So who's going to do the judging? Who does the judging? Jesus does the judging. Not God. Not God the Father. God the Son does the judging. How's that fit with your picture? Did you think it was God the Father that did it, that was going to judge? This angry man who Jesus has been holding off for years. No. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the exact image of the Father. They're not in conflict on anything. They're in the same place on everything. So why is it Jesus that judges and not God? Acts 17.31 says this, He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Men will be judged by a perfectly just man. A man who has lived it, a man who has been through it all, a man who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin, and a man who laid down his life for all who would turn to him so that he would suffer their justice instead of them. And it is that man who will judge because he's the only one worthy to judge. 
And it's Jesus that sits on that throne. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says this, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. And, and this is where it gets really, really uncomfortable because we find out that everything we've ever done was written down in books. And the books get opened. And on the basis of what is in those books, you will be declared guilty or innocent. However, there's two sets of books. And that's the important thing. You see, there's the books that have recorded everything that was ever done. And yet, when you turn to Jesus, when you made him Lord of your life, those, what was in those books was erased because Jesus paid for it. And your name was written in another book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And that book... This is, this is from Revelation. Another book was opened, which is the Lamb's Book of Life. Who writes the names in that book? The Bible tells us it's the Father who writes the names of those who put their faith and trust in his Son. So the Father writes the names in the Lamb's Book of Life on the basis of what the Son has done. You are qualified to be in the Lamb's Book of Life and not in the other books by grace. That is what Christ did and paid for through faith. Now, I just want to, while you think about that, I just want to take a little marketing slot. We've been in our Back to the Book on Tuesday nights on Zoom, we've been studying the book of James. And this week is the most important week. Because this week we're going to look at what is the faith that saves you? What is it that gets you into the Lamb's Book of Life? What does that look like? And why is it important? Because the Bible also tells us there will be a lot of people who think they are in the Lamb's Book of Life and then on the, they find out they're not. Everybody who's not... There's a lot of people who know they're not in that book and don't care right at this moment. Because they, they haven't understood that it's not based on their works as to whether God will put them right or wrong. It's based on what Jesus has done. Here's the thing. The, so I'm going to give you the bad news first, okay? The bad news is this. The cold, hard truth from the Bible is this. For those who do not love Jesus... This life 
is as close to heaven as they're going to ever experience. This is the best it ever gets for those who don't love Jesus. What we are experiencing now and what we see in our lives and what we're going through in our own life, this is the best it ever gets for those who don't love Jesus. You might say, well, Mark, why do you have to talk about these things? Because we're not ready. We're not ready. The bride isn't ready. The church fell over because of COVID. Across the world, people in droves have not come back. Because it was uncomfortable and they think, well, I managed two years without going. Why do I have to go now? That's why we look at the uncomfortable stuff. Because the truth is we deluded ourselves. We were ready and we weren't. And I just think it's an enormous joy to see all you guys here because that's not the same for everybody you were prepared to go through what we've been through but when more comes we all need to be ready and i pray that that those who who let this thing take them out turn again And you might say, well, okay, we're, we're all right, we're here. There's a more subtle thing that the enemy has done to us. He has, over the last X years, he has torn the passion that we have for Jesus out of our hearts and replaced it with something dull and soggy and inactive. And he doesn't do that overnight, he does that over a period of years. And Jesus is calling us back to our first love, our first passion. Because we need to be ready. And you go, well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. That's exactly what the Bible says people say when Jesus comes back. That's as good an indicator as any that it might well happen in your lifetime. And you need to be ready. So what happens to us? What happens to us who are in the Lamb's Book of Life, not the bit where everything's written down and we don't want to see? What happens to us? Those who endured to the end, what happens to us? Right, let me just pull this together now. A little bit of theology for you. You ready for some theology? I know it's late on in the talk. Andrew's ready for it. He's got his notebook out. We're good. According to Jesus, no one gets to him except through him. Nobody. I am the way, the truth, and life. 
Nobody comes to the Father except through me. While we're saved by Jesus' grace through faith, we are also saved to a life that we live now. For the works that he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Practically what that means is that when we came to Jesus, we made a commitment to him that we would be on his mission. So practically right now for us, it's mission time. Mission isn't the same as an organized event. Mission is living and being different from the world and reaching everybody we can who we come into contact with, whatever time of day it is, whatever the setting, and whatever the consequences of witnessing for Christ in that setting. You see, when you come to Christ, we use this word converted, don't we? When did you get converted? What does that mean? It means that you are converted from the worship of things and goals and people other than Jesus to the worship of Jesus, which is where we started, isn't it? Just Jesus. And that means our worship of Jesus is putting Jesus' direction for our life above all the other demands on our life. And don't underestimate how hard that is. Nevertheless, that's what it means. So the, the first aspect of our conversion is being connected to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The second aspect is we're commissioned to join his mission. And the third aspect is we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that mission. So if our heart is to do that mission right now, what we need, because we're not seeing the fullness of what we should see, is more of the Holy Spirit. And how do we get more of the empowering of the Holy Spirit? We let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts so it's less of us and more of him. We give up more and more areas of our life to him. Now, here's something that will make you uncomfortable when I say it. But it shouldn't. Every Christian will also be judged. Every Christian will be judged. The Bible is really clear on that. You go, well, I thought I was out of judgment. I thought it was in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thought it was all on Kidore. No, you get judged. Well, what they're going to judge me on? Because there's nothing in the other book. No, that's it's not that sort of judgment. Remember, there's justice. Justice has two sides. Justice is not just vindication and judgment. Justice is also about reward. Justice rewards the right. 
justice rewards the good. That's why the Holy Spirit's convicting people right now. And he's been convicting us for weeks. Because he wants us not to lose the rewards. Because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. And this is eternal. And some people will say, well, I thought, it doesn't sound like I've heard Grace preach. No, this is how Grace Bruce preached about 30 years ago. Before we made Grace something it isn't. Grace is a free gift of Jesus by a choice that we make to receive it by faith. And in doing that, we say, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I follow you. My life's yours. So, and in return, also grace, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can change to be like him and to do the things he's asking us to do. You see, Jesus doesn't ask us to do stuff we can't do. He asks us to do stuff we can't do in our flesh, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, which is the ability to do it. In your flesh, I can guarantee you don't want to change. In your spirit, you want to change. So it's your spirit. And so Jesus wants to reward us for how deeply we entered into that process of change. Because he loves people who look like him. He loves everybody. But there's a, you know, some people he loves and some people he calls friends and some people he calls deep confidants. You see those right through the Bible. And so his reward is a reward of love. It's not a reward of salvation. Because the judgment for your salvation was rendered at the cross 2,000 years ago. So what does Jesus judge? He judges the change. He judges the fruit. He judges the mission. There's something that people don't know or don't recognize. When the wicked are judged, those who, the Bible calls the wicked, people wicked who did not love Jesus. When they are judged, it's not the same judgment for everyone. That'll shock a few of you. It's not the same judgment for everybody. They are judged according to their works and what is written in all those records in that book. So there's different degrees because they receive perfect justice. We are not all judged the same because we're rewarded differently. Remember the parable of the talents? They were rewarded differently. 
The only way you can get that out of your head is to deny a lot of passages in the Bible. Christians are rewarded. And that's a good thing. We get to get things for what we've gone through on this earth when everybody thought we were crazy, stupid, hated us, killed us, locked us in prisons, all the rest of it we get rewarded for. And Jesus' good pleasure is to reward us for, for it. He's going to enjoy rewarding us. It's a bit like school prize giving where we all get prizes. So where do we stand? I said that the cold hard truth for those who don't love Jesus is that this life is as good as it ever will get. The warm soft truth for us is this. The warm soft truth for those who love Jesus is this life is as close to hell as we are ever going to get. And heaven awaits us. And life with Jesus awaits us. And glory awaits us. And vindication awaits us. And justice awaits us. And it's coming. And it's coming soon. And he is coming soon. And we need to be ready. He's not coming for a dirty bride. He's coming for a spotless bride. Where's the spotless bride? Spotless bride is right here in this room right now. It's the Holy Spirit in you. And what's Jesus doing right now? He's working on your flesh. Because the less of that is, the more the spotless bride starts to appear. How does Paul put that? Paul puts that as not walking according to the flesh, but walking according to the spirit. The bride learns to walk according to the spirit. How cool is that? What are we doing, grubbing around, trying to work everything out in our head, following our own logic, coming up with our own plans, writing books about how to do church, when... It's about walking in the spirit and showing the spirit that's alive in us. And that spirit is passionate about Jesus. It loved, the spirit loves Jesus with every fiber of his being. And he's calling us to him. He's calling us to him. Can we stand? Can I have the worship team back? Now, I understand that that's not a comfortable sermon. That has been waiting for months before I got the go-ahead from the Holy Spirit to do it. He wrote it, but I've waited for him to ask me to do it.
Here's the point. Not everything in the Bible is comfortable. If we think everything should be comfortable, it's not the Bible. It's part of the Bible, but it's not the whole of the Bible. Here's the challenge. You see, I don't want to preach this stuff. I really don't. Because it makes me uncomfortable. And I'd have a much nicer Sunday morning if I didn't. But it's because I care. I care for everybody here and I care for those who aren't here. Because we cannot be found not ready. If COVID had this effect, what is persecution going to have? We have to be ready and we have to know who we are. A glorious, spotless bride. Amen. Amen.